Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you, worship team. Yeah, holy Kadosh. Uh, he is holy, is he not? Amen? Big time, big time. Holy means separated, it means different. Kadosh. Wow, he is both of those things, isn't he? He is not like us. Uh, he is greater than us, and he is above us, different than us. And Wow, we, we're just trying more and more each day uh, to be more conformed to his image. Amen? Uh, as it says in his word. Wow. Mm, boy. Wow. Good stuff. I am so glad that you are here. It's good for you on Thanksgiving weekend. Wow, that's great. Good for you. Could have easily said, oh boy, I had so much turkey. I'm still processing here. I, had leftovers, tripped a fan. I don't think I can make it to services. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep here. Uh, you know, and you know, a lot of people travel. A lot of people are out of town, of course, this weekend, traveling, seeing family and other, other friends and things. But, but it's great. I'm glad that you made it out to God's house. Good for you. Two points for each of you. I've given you each two points uh, in the heavenly total. I let the angels know. Uh, and so, <laughs> in any case, I'm glad you're here. It's a blessing to be in the house of God. It really is. Uh, it's, it's a privilege. Amen. Well, it is Thanksgiving weekend, and so, my friends, it is what? It is time to give thanks. We, we do need, and we, and we have so very much to be thankful for, don't we? We really do, without question. I, even, if, uh, even, even if you're going through a hard time, even if you're struggling financially, uh, even if you have some broken relationships, in other words, even if we're going through it in some ways, wow, we still have a lot to be thankful for relative to the rest of the world even. Uh, there, there's no question. And, and, uh, and of course, uh, it's time to say thank you. This is what Thanksgiving week and weekend and, and day is all about. Thanks to those who mean so very much to us. Yeah, thanks to God. Thank, thank you, God. I mean, if you have God in your life, you really don't need anything else. Uh, Dainu, that's enough, you know? And so we thank you. Thank, thanks to God. Thanks to our families. A lot of thanks to go around. Thanks to our families, a lot of people. We had, uh, I was at my in-laws uh, over Thanksgiving, uh, Rebbits and Tiffany's parents and uh, siblings and stuff. And, and my father-in-law, who's a, a man of faith, uh, asked us to kind of go around the room and say things that we were thankful for, which was a blessing. And of course, it was so interesting to hear how many of them were 
God and family, God family, God family. That was the biggest thing, you know, people expressed. But then after we did that, then we, then we said, you know what, let's do something else because everybody had kind of the same answer, you know, God family, God family, God family, uh, friends. Uh, and, uh, and we said, what's something that you want to be thankful for that is not really that important, but you're still thankful for it? And now that got a diverse set of answers, you know, for sure. I mean, one of, one of our relatives said, coffee. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was really a Thanksgiving or a, or a cry for help. I couldn't tell. <laughs> they were so thankful for coffee. It's, it's a, yeah, the Lord gives us lots of things, big and little, you know, that we're thankful for. But thanks to our families, thanks to our friends, a lot of a lot of you have friends and some some close friends, and you know if you, if you have a few close friends, it just makes all the difference. And thanks for thanks for all the things that we've graciously received. We've been given so many so much stuff, really, you know, and uh, and it's such a blessing. We're so thankful for it. Thanks for having even just a roof over our heads. <laughs> you know, it's thanks for living in a prosperous country. You know, thanks for living in the United States. So many things. Thanks for provision. Uh, thanks to people who have been so kind and generous to us. Lots of stuff that we should really say thanks for. Amen, amen. But, you know, at the same time, you recognize that I'm Rabbi Kevin. And those of you who know me uh, know that uh, I'm not especially particular to cliche sermons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, Joko? You know, I, it's, it, I, it's just, and listen, I, I, I'm not saying I've never given a, 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 a give thanks message on Thanksgiving Shabbat. I probably have. But, uh, but uh, while there are indeed many things that we should say thanks for, guess what? There are also plenty of things where we should say no thanks. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. <laughs> Acts 8. Okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to take an interesting kind of curve. This is a Thanksgiving-related message, but in a very untypical way. I'm sure this is not <laughs> taught at your average mega church or whatever. Okay, first, first we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a few different people from the scripture today to illustrate a point of something that I hadn't really looked at in, in, in great detail. This whole principle here. We're going to start with Simon the magician, also known as Simon the sorcerer, and uh, and Simon. This is not Simon Peter, different Simon. This is Simon the magician. And, and, and he was known in the region of Samaria as being an amazing magician. In fact, uh, there's, there's just no other way to say it. And, and we can relate to this in our society today. Simon was a celebrity. That's right. He was a celebrity. That's what he was. I mean, he was, he was famous in that area uh, of being this incredible magician and, and people knew him, Simon the Magician, you know, and, and so he had his own, uh, you know, he had a huge uh, Instagram following uh, back in the day and, <laughs> well, okay, uh, eventually uh, in, in this area of Samaria, this is after Yeshua's death, resurrection, ascension, 
but word of Yeshua spread through Samaria, and there was a revival going on in this region where Simon the, the magician lived, and there was a revival going on, and so the, the Talmudim, the disciples, and the, uh, the Shlichim uh, sent uh, a couple people to this area uh, because of the revival that was going on, and, and Simon the magician himself was kind of taken up in this revival uh, to a large ex- extent. The scriptures tell us that Simon himself was immersed and believed. Okay, now that's interesting. So Simon, the celebrity, you know how sometimes celebrities will, will express some faith, but yet at the same time, sometimes you go, that's not exactly it, no. Well, that's exactly Simon's story. Uh, Simon, uh, he, it says he was immersed and, and he believed, but he clearly didn't get it. He clearly did not f- at least fully get it for sure. Peter and John were sent to the area where this revival was breaking out. And what happened? The power of the Ruach, the power of the Spirit was being poured out on people in a supernatural way. Man, the Spirit of God was touching people through uh, Peter and John. Now we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 18. So we hear this interaction between Simon and Peter. So it says this, now in verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, was given through the laying on of hands by the emissaries, he offered them money, saying, give this power to me too. So that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Ruach HaKodesh. Ooh, wow. Ooh, no, 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 Simon, no, no, no. Oh, my gosh. You know, you, it, doesn't that sound like a celebrity, really? You know, let me pay you to give me this power from God to do this stuff. Let me pay you for it. You know, I could pay premium dollar for it. That's interesting. The local celebrity offers money to Peter for spiritual powers. Now, now, at the same time, you have to understand, this is the early Messianic Jewish movement. The early Messianic Jewish movement was small, and they surely could use the funds. I mean, listen, uh, you know, your, your, your local people in ministry, they're in ministry, can always use the funds, and, uh, and they could have even said, well, let's use these funds to bless the poor of this, of this wealthy celebrity here. Uh, and so they, they, he could have really justified it. Well, but what, how did Peter reply? This is how Peter replied, verse 20. Peter said to him, May your silver go to ruin and you with it because you thought that you could buy God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Woo, man. Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, replied, no thanks. No thanks. Here it was, Simon the magician was offering some hard cash, some, some blueback shekels. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, it wasn't not greenbacks. Uh, <laughs> in any case, he was offering some hard-earned shekels, some things that would have been very useful. Peter replies, no thanks. No thanks. See, friends, sometimes you have to have the willingness, the willingness to say no. Sometimes you got to say no thanks. 
to say no, sometimes even when something might satisfy your flesh. Say no thanks, even when you could justify saying yes. Watch out for money. You think about what Peter could have said. Peter could have said, hold on, Simon, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I hear what you're saying. Let's let's talk about this a minute here. <laughs> you know, may, maybe it's not like a quid pro quo where you just give me the money for the for the, the gift of laying on of hands and all. But I tell you what, it, it doesn't exactly work. Let's just make a large contribution to our ministry, and I'll be happy to kind of pray for you and show you a few things. Huh? Come on, let's be honest. He could have easily said that easily said that and justified it and said, you know, that's, that's not exactly, really, that's what could happen. But Peter saw Simon's heart. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. He, he was in the wrong headspace, did not understand God. You don't buy God off. You don't buy God off. Watch out for the effects of money, friends. Money in itself is not evil but it can cause people to do evil things. Sometimes when there are business deals or financial offers, sometimes you just have to say no thanks if it's not quite right. It might be cheating on your taxes when no one else will know. No thanks. It might be skimming off the top on some kind of a deal. Beloved. Say no thanks. Second mm-hmm. Samuel chapter eleven. Second Samuel eleven. This is very interesting. This is about Uriah the Hittite. Now Uriah the Hittite, very interesting character in Scripture. Wow, just a profoundly deep. Um, person in terms of uh, his character, and, and man, I got to tell you, I admire this guy. I admire Uriah the Hittite. Now, he's called the Hittite. Scholars are not exactly sure of his origin. He's called the Hittite, so he, he likely had some Gentile blood in him, because the Hittites were uh, descendants of the Canaanites, uh, but, but yet at the same time, he was an Israelite. Uh, of course, living in Israel. And, and in fact, he married a, a Jewish woman named Bathsheba. Okay, this is Bathsheba's husband. Okay, Bathsheba's husband. You remember the story of Bathsheba, right? Okay, and, 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 and this is Bathsheba's husband. And Uriah's name is, is Hebrew, meaning the Lord is my light. So it's likely that Uriah the Hittite was considered Jewish, but was still somehow different. And that's why he was referred to as the Hittite. However, he was counted among David's mighty men. You know, there's only, only a couple dozen uh, people in the scripture that are referred to as David's mighty men. Uriah the Hittite was one of them. So Uriah the Hittite was a macher, man. He was a heavy hitter in Israel. He was big time in the military. He was a guy who would interact with, with the, the king and the princes and all the, the high up officials Uriah was, was, was somebody of some level of importance here. He was one of the David's mighty men. 
Okay, Uriah the Hittite, very, very interesting. Well, sadly, you know the story. What's the story? Well, Uriah was out to war with his general Joab, Joab, okay? And so he was out fighting Israel's battles. He was in the IDF. Yoel right here was in the IDF. Well, so was Uriah the Hittite. He was in the IDF just like you were, Yoel. And, uh, and, and what happened? Uh, uh, while he was out, this is bad, y'all. While he was out at war, King David was back home in Jerusalem, and you know the story, he saw Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and was like, mm, okay, well, had an affair with her while he was on the front, and what happened? She got pregnant from King David while Bathsheba's husband was at the front. This is bad stuff. And so what did King David do? Did he immediately repent? He was a man after God's own heart. No, he didn't. He covered it up. He tried to cover it up. He covered it up. Bad on top of bad. David was bad on top of bad on top of bad on top of bad in this story. David was usually good, but man, he messed this one up, right? So eager to cover it up, what did King David do? He sent for Uriah the moment that he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant. He sent for Uriah from the front Bring Uriah home. Why? So that he could be with his wife. And then it would not be obvious that Bathsheba had an affair, right? People would think, okay, well, it's Uriah's kid. She's pregnant. They didn't have all the the apps that we have today to figure these things out, right? And so so he sent for Uriah to be with uh, his wife, Bathsheba, to cover up his sin, David's sin. We pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6. So David sent a message to Yoav, who was the general, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the troops fared, and how the war was going. All right, making small talk. But then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Okay, meaning be with your wife, yeah. When Uriah left the royal palace, a present from the king followed him. Wow, boy, treating him really nicely. But Uriah slept at the door of the royal palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. Uh Uh-oh. When they informed David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, "Uh, haven't you come from a journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? Verse 11, wow, it's important. Man, I'm impressed with Uriah. Verse 11, but Uriah answered David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my lord Joab and the officers of my lord are camping in the open field. Should I then go to my house and to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Wow. Wow. Man, Uriah had something. Uriah had something. There was some kind of integrity in this guy, honor in this guy. And we continue to read, David didn't just like kind of give up. Even before the final deed that he did, which was dastardly. But before that, the next night, David was like, oh boy, I gotta, I gotta get him with his wife. We gotta cover this, this thing up. So he brought him to, to his dinner and intentionally 
had Uriah have too much to drink. So got him kind of inebriated. And then tried to send him home to be with his wife. But Uriah still refused. Still refused. Why? Because Uriah was honorable. Even when it would have been pleasurable for him to say yes, he said no thanks. He said no thanks. Because he felt it would be dishonoring his fellow soldiers to experience this kind of joy while they were so miserable. My gosh, what an amazing man. What an amazing man Uriah was. And friends, it's so interesting because as you read about Uriah, and there's not a lot said in Scripture about him, but, but, it, but, but yes, as you know the story, it did cost him his life, this decision. It cost him his life. Why? Because once King David saw that he couldn't trick him into being with his wife again in that way, he had him murdered. He had Uriah murdered. He sent him to the front, said, pull away and let him get killed. And that's what happened. And he got killed. So then David took Bathsheba and married her to be his wife. Very, very, very wrong. Very wrong. Well, how did God feel about it? Well, down in verse 27, it specifically says what? That David did what was evil in God's eyes. So God was not pleased, and David suffered consequence for it, serious consequences for it, including the death of that child, once born from Bathsheba. So he suffered heavy consequences for his sin against the Lord and against Uriah. God was displeased. But what about Uriah? There's very little said. But what about Uriah, this, this, amazing, this amazing man who was, wait for it, wait for it, better than David? I'd never seen this before, but, but as I was kind of researching Uriah, because I was just so impressed with his character, something, I, I noticed something, and it absolutely floored me as I started looking at it. Turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew. Check this out. Matthew chapter 1. Beginning of the Brich Hadashah. Uh, those of you who know Matthew chapter 1, what is it? It's, it's, the, uh, it's the lineage, if you will. It's the paternal lineage of Yeshua. Okay, so it says, starting back in the beginning, you know, this person begot this person, Abraham begot this person, etc., all the way up to, up to Messiah's generation, right? The paternal lineage of Yeshua. And, and, he, and let's read where it mentions David and Solomon, his son. What does it specifically say? Things are not put in the Bible by chance. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. Things are put in the Bible for a purpose. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, as part of the lineage of Yeshua, a, a part that you probably just read over and skim over because you don't find meaning in it. Get ready. Verse 6. And Jesse fathered David the king. David fathered Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Yeah. 
Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. I'd never really thought about that, Paul. And as I started reviewing Matthew chapter 1, I noticed that absolutely no one else in all of Matthew chapter 1, in the lineage, no one else is mentioned in that long line of Yeshua who was not a blood relative other than Uriah. It's pretty interesting. So it's, it's either, if you will, Yeshua's great-great-grandparents or at the very least great-great-uncles or aunts. But nobody else outside of blood relative is mentioned except Uriah. Friends, Uriah said, no thanks, and God noticed. Wow. I'm fully confident that we're gonna <clears throat> that we're gonna meet Uriah in heaven. And, and here's also something that's kind of deep. Remember this. Uriah said no thanks to something that would not have been a sin for him to say yes to. That's interesting, isn't it? So just because something is not a sin does not mean that you always should say yes. That's where you have discernment and wisdom and honor. It would have been lacking honor, uh, wisdom, but not sinful. Yet Uriah so clearly wanted to do what was right that he said no thanks to something that would satisfy he was fle his flesh because he was thinking of others first. Wow. Who does that sound like? That sounds like God. That's the nature of God. Thinking of others before yourself. Thinking of others. Isn't that what Yeshua did? We, I, I said in my prayer, Lord, help us to be more conformed to the image of Messiah. That's the image of Messiah. Thinking of others above yourself. Pretty deep. Exodus 32. Our guy Moshe, our guy Moses, Moses, Moses. It's interesting, this week, just totally randomly and unrelated to the message, I was on YouTube, and I, I just needed me a dose of some Charlton Heston. <laughs> I love that movie, The Ten Commandments. It's so good. Oh my gosh, it's just so good. It was made so long ago. Some of the graphics are not exactly, you know, you might say not, not quite up to today's standards. It doesn't matter. The, the, the movie is powerfully, powerful spiritually. It is a deeply spiritual movie. Such a great movie, and I was watching the clip, you know, I, I went straight to the clip where, where Moses was there, and it was the time of the parting of the Red Sea, and you know, the chariots of Egypt were all coming in, you know, and, and there was Moses by, by the Red Sea, and, and they were, yeah, 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 they were complaining, hey, we should have gone back to Egypt, we should have gone back to Egypt, you know, and Moses, man, was like, he does this thing, before he puts his hands out like this, you know, up there on the, and he's up there, and it's like, Wow, you watch it, it's just like, 
I think that Charlton Heston is a better Moses than probably Moses, you know? I, mean, <laughs> I think we get to heaven and <laughs> we see Moses. No, 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 no. We were looking for the other Moses, you know? <laughs> I mean, not only does he does he just he acts it so well, and you know the water flies open, the Red Sea, but then that that voice, you know, <laughs> I can't even imitate. It's just so amazing. Wow, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You know, Charlton Heston and the Red Sea parts, and they walk through, and wow, that that whole scene is absolutely amazing. Moses is amazing, amazing guy in the scripture. And, but listen, if anybody had the right to be done with the children of Israel, it was Moses, right? Because what happened? He had delivered them from Egypt, the 10 plagues. You remember the whole story. The Lord used him for the 10, you know, with the 10 plagues. He crossed the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. And received the commandments of God on the top of Mount Sinai. And all the while, all the while, the children of Israel that he was leading, did almost nothing but complain. Complain, complain, complain. All they did was complain. Anytime I'm, I'm struggling and saying, oh, Lord, boy, you know, it's, not, it's not always easy to, to lead a Messianic Jewish congregation. You say, hey, look at Moses. Okay, 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 all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. I love it, I love it. It's a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Moses, man, he had it rough. Oh, my gosh, it was just nonstop complaining. And he was, God had sent him, he was volunteering to, to deliver them. And most of the complaints were specifically about Moses. Why have you led us out of Egypt to die here in the desert? Why have you led us to be run over by Pharaoh's army? Why have you, we were fine in Egypt, what do you do? It's always, it was always finger pointing to Moses, right? It, we read in the scripture, even his siblings complained about him. Even his siblings who he got to do important roles, the Lord used Aaron and Miriam, even they complained about him. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on. The only person we don't read complaining about him is his mother. God bless his mother. <laughs> Oh, man. And so what happened? While he was on Mount Sinai, you know the story. The children of Israel had the audacity to craft the golden calf. Unreal, right? It's absolutely unreal, Jay. I mean, can you believe this? After, after all God had done for the children of Israel, the plagues, the Red Sea, the whole Megillah, and, and boom. And so right then, he doesn't come off the mountain right away. They build the golden calf. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I, I, can you even imagine Moses' reaction to, to hearing this news? I mean, I, I, livid. I, I can't even imagine. And, and so much of it so personally directed at Moses. And uh, it's hard for me, Lynn, to even fathom how Moses could have felt after. It's, it's like, it's, like it's, it's beyond betrayal. It's, it's, it's stabbed in the back two and a half to three million times by your people. Well, God was not pleased. God was not pleased with the children of Israel. Exodus 32, verse 7. Then Adonai said to Moses, 
go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have become debased. They quickly turned aside from the path I commanded for them. They have made a molten calf, worshipped it, and sacrificed to it. And said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, man. Here it comes, verse 9. Adonai said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, leave me alone, so my wrath may burn hot against them, and so I may consume them and make from you a great nation. Man, a shevitz. Y'all, God had had enough. He had had enough. He, he was ready. I mean, he said, you think about this right there. I mean, the whole history of the world is different in this moment. The, the history of the world's balancing right there. God was ready to destroy every one of these Israelites and start over just with Moses. Start over just with Moses. And listen, you could say, well, and Moses are. But his promise to Abraham would have still been fulfilled. It just would have come through Moses, sort of like, you know, he restarted with Noah. Well, with the Jewish people, he would have restarted through Moses. Now, think about Moses, given all the grief that the people had given him. All the animus that was directed toward him, even threatening to kill Moses. Man, well, how, how, did Moses, how could Moses have responded to God saying this? Well, I'll tell you how he certainly could have responded. Well, God, I understand where you're coming from on this one. <laughs> I get that. I get it, God. I get it. You know what? I'm pretty tired of it, too. I'm done. I am done. I've, I've just risked my life so many times for these people. Hey, listen. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a huge honor you're bestowing upon me. I gratefully accept Thank you, O oh God. That's not what he said, though. What did he say? Verse 11. Then Moses sought Adonai his God and said, Adonai, why should your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out to do evil, to slay them in the mountains and to annihilate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this destruction against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven in all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your offspring and they will inherit it forever. And then verse 14, mind blower. So Adonai relented from the destruction that he had said he would do to his people. Wow. Wow. Man. Wow. That is some serious chutzpah. <laughs> that is some serious chutzpah, man. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Instead of receiving a great honor that God was offering him, Moses said, no thanks. <laughs> no th with all respect. With all respect. He beseeched the Lord to spare the children of Israel. And what's mind-boggling, God listened to Moses. He listened to Moses. God listened to a man. It's unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. You think your prayers don't matter. Your prayers matter. Here it was that God was... Think about this. Here it was that God was offering to Moses to be one of the greatest people in history. And in Moses' humility and saying no thanks, Moses solidified himself as one of the greatest people in history. All power and all glory could have been his, but this was not his goal. These were not his aims. Remember, nothing would have been evil by him saying yes. But Moses is so selfless, is known as a man after God's own heart. Isn't that the nature of God? To relent from the punishment that we deserve? This was Moses' heart. And this in the end was God's heart. What does King David say in Psalm 30? He says, God, his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Oh, beloved, sometimes you have to be the bigger person, even if you've been wronged. Release your agenda and seek the heart of God. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 26. Such interesting principles here that teach us things. This is a very practical message, friends, that I think, and by the way, it's not a 101 kind of a, a word here. This is something where I pray that the Lord cultivates within each of us a discernment, wisdom. To, to best see and determine when we should say yes or when we should say no thanks. Here was David earlier in his life than we talked about earlier, and he, was, he had already been anointed to be king. He was going to be king. He was anointed that he would be king. But he was not king yet. Why? King Saul was king, but King Saul was threatened by David, so he was chasing him, and he chased him all over the whole area, trying to kill David. And, uh, and David knew that when Saul died, he would be king. So, so this was already Samuel, had, the prophet, had anointed him, the judge. And then suddenly, boom, David had his chance. And it was not the first time, it was the second time he had his chance. 1 Samuel 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai, who was David's you know, right hand, approached the troops, Saul's troops, by night. Behold, Saul was lying asleep within the barricade with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner, the general there, and his troops were sleeping around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand today. Now let me pin him to the ground with a single thrust of the spear. I will not have to strike him twice. Ooh, boy, Abishai was ready. Ooh, boy, Abishai was ready. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. 
For who can lay his hand on Adonai's anointed and be guiltless? David added, as Adonai lives, either Adonai will strike him down or his day will come to die or he will go down to battle and be swept away. Adonai forbid that I should lay my hand on Adonai's anointed. Now just take the spear that it is at his head and the water jug and let's go. (laughs) David was invited to get the throne that he had been promised by God. Let me say that again. That's not a small thing. David was invited to get the throne that he had been promised by God himself. But when given the perfect opportunity, he said, no thanks. No thanks. No thanks to the opportunity to kill Saul. Not the first time he had had that opportunity even. And this, even though David was in the right. David was in the right. Saul was trying to kill him for no good reason. Brothers and sisters, leave it to God to elevate you. Don't feel entitled in your life. We are just jars of clay. Let's conclude with this one, Luke chapter 4. We're going to conclude with Yeshua himself. So interesting to see the dynamic here that's going on with these different accounts and stories and things that are a little counterintuitive in so many ways. Well, we get kind of the ultimate example and demonstration of this principle by Messiah himself as he was being tempted by Hasatan. Hasatan, the devil, the deceiver. And as part of this temptation in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, And leading Yeshua up, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. Wow. And the devil said to him, I'll give to you all this authority along with its glory because it's been handed over to me and I can give it to anyone I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all this shall be yours. Pretty interesting. You talk about when will the kingdom of God come? Well, the devil was offering him the kingdom. Verse 8, but answering Yeshua told him, it is written, you shall worship Adonai, your God, and him only shall you serve. So, of course, Yeshua said to Hasatan, no thanks. Even though he was being offered seemingly everything, (laughs) he said no. Because, beloved, If it's not in the will of God, you don't want it. No matter how much it glistens, no matter how much it glitters, no matter how good it seems. So on this Thanksgiving weekend, while we truly, truly do have much to say thanks for Sometimes you need to say, no thanks. The title of my message is, no thanks. 
<laughs> Let's bow our heads. <laughs> Abba Father, I come humbly before you right now and I thank you for this service. And I thank you for everyone here and for everyone who is here. I want to ask if you're here and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart as your Messiah, you've never given your life to God, but you want to today, wherever you are, lift your hand and we'll have a simple prayer. The adversary might say to you, oh, you've got all the time in the world. You've, you don't need to, you don't need to do that. Hey, listen, what you need to say to the adversary is, hey, no thanks, I'm not listening to you. If you've never said that prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, raise your hand and we'll pray together. It's a simple prayer, but it means everything. Lord, in the name of Yeshua, I pray for each and every one of us here. God, I pray that you give us as a kahilah, as a congregation, Lord, a heart of wisdom. Teach us your ways, O oh Lord. Show us. Show us when, yes, we should say thanks, but show us when we should also say no thanks. Teach us, God. Reveal to us truths. Reveal to us wisdom. Give us a heart more like yours. Lord, as we become more like you, we'll know better when to say thanks or to say no thanks, even when it's not even a matter of sin, but it's a matter of what's best in your eyes. Help us, oh God. Help us in our lives. Guide us. Let us turn to you. Let us have a heart like yours. I thank you for these things on this special Thanksgiving weekend. And we bless you for them, God, in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call... 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Nine, 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 nine.